Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast here on Celtics Blog. Not here today is your normal host, Adam Motenko, but uh, I'm here, Josh Motenko, uh, with my man, Mike Minkoff. How are you doing, Mike? Uh, I'm doing better than Marcus Smart's quad. <laughs> no contusions. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in tip-top shape. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you don't have the uh, potentially separated shoulder is what it looked like to me for Marcus <laughs> Smart. Uh, you got a lot of knee pain, uh, a huge bag of ice on your knee. You have no bags of ice on you for this pot, I assume. No bags of ice. I'm, I'm free and clear. No need, no need for uh, swelling reducing uh, <laughs> ice compression packs or, or ice baths or anything like that. Yeah, but we do have, you know, just some mental and maybe orbital injuries just from watching a difficult game. I would, I would think you had kind of the same experience as me. Um, I wanted to start us off today by bringing in some uh, a couple of things from Charles Barkley. He had some Celtics content recently. It's not not often that we get Charles Barkley content. Um, the the least important one. I'm going to go first. So, did you hear Charles Barkley's nickname for Coach Ime Udoka? I I cannot say that I did. Uh, so I'm winning with bated breath. So yeah, two weeks ago he he says Coach Udoki, and then he says Okie Doki is his nickname. <laughs> Udoka. Uh, do you have any comment, Mike? Uh, I think I think uh, Coach Ime Udoka has deserved better than being called the Okie Doki. That uh, I think he's he's established himself as actually getting his name right. Um, you know, it, it's a little uh, you know Charles Barkley is a pretty smart guy. I think he can figure out how to pronounce Ime Udoka's name correctly. Yeah, I got to give Charles credit though. If you can't produce uh, pronounce the name. You know, you should turn it into a joke, or at least make fun of yourself for doing for not being able to do so. And maybe I don't know. He's Udoka is kind of a disciplinarian. Like that's probably what you should say when he asks you to do something. It's like, okie dokie, yes, coach. Uh, Boo! Boo! (laughs) The more important comment that Barkley had was uh, another joke. He said, "You know, Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. He's out there. He's going to be guarded by Drew Holiday. This was their like preparation for Game One. His comment to that was, nobody might score." Right, which uh, you know, <laughs> both guys stout defenders, and when you're going against each other, it's it's a difficult thing. But I think that that would kind of encapsulate what we saw in Game One overall. You know, there's obviously a difference between Milwaukee and the opponent from our first round series, Brooklyn, defensively. Um, and that maybe one plays so defense, <laughs> yeah, the other doesn't. Maybe there's not so much of a difference between Milwaukee's defense and Boston's defense. Um, but defense was definitely the difference in Game One. What what is your take? Yeah, well, I let's let's start with the uh, Marcus Smart and Drew Holiday matchup because it was kind of a microcosm. I mean, this that matchup, um, Drew Holiday got the best of it. He picked Smart clean on a couple a couple of times, like as Smart was trying to cross half court, and that really was emblematic of of the game. The you know it 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 is a series of two of the physically toughest teams in the league. Um, certainly yes. over the back half yep. and there's just no two ways about it. Milwaukee just completely out toughed Boston in game one. It was, it was uh, disappointing and a little bit jarring um, uh, after, after kind of growing accustomed to watching the Celtics be the aggressors for pretty much three months straight. 
um, and even in their losses over the past couple of few months, two two months in particular, you know, their losses were they they felt a little bit um, you know fluky almost, or they were because we were resting like most of our starters, like that game in Toronto, for example, right? Like we yeah. still kind of showed resolve and toughness and and grit and. I wouldn't say we didn't show any of those things, but um, my main takeaway from this game was that the the physicality and the strength and the athleticism and the strength of the length of Milwaukee had us playing out of sorts and making decisions. You know, we we were resorting to our kind of our worst habits as a team and, a, you know, the individual players. Um you know, Jalen Brown was and and Jason Tatum both were driving too far into the defense without a plan. We weren't making the next simple play, and Milwaukee deserves credit because they were making those simple plays a lot harder than we expected them to be. But we also made things harder on ourselves, and we're trying. You know, individuals were trying to do a little bit too much themselves. Um, and you know, we we on this podcast have have swung. Um, from from worrying about the mental toughness and physical toughness of this team and, and the individual parts as well as the whole at times to to get to you know offering effusive praise over how this team seemed to have transformed and this series is really going to be a test to see you know if we have the resilience and and um, mental and physical resolve to to push as a team to uh, that next tier because Milwaukee is a champion and they played like a champion in that game. Um, and they really pushed us to a level that we were very uncomfortable with in game, in game one. Yeah. I would say even when you look at our leaders, Giannis versus Tatum, you know, Giannis is the one who's proven that he's mentally tough enough to win a championship. He's obviously physically stronger, bigger, faster, you know, maybe even physically tougher than Tatum is too, despite the leaps that Tatum has made this year physically and mentally in the toughness department, I would still maybe give the edge to Giannis. Um, You know, the shot making is really what Tatum has over Giannis, but just the example of toughness that they both gave in this last game, there was a difference there just from the leadership perspective. Um, So, and then just in general, like our defense is, is so dominant but against a team that moves the ball well, that plays together, it's just it doesn't work as well as it does against a team that plays hero ball or is kind of selfish um, or does the my turn, your turn thing like the Brooklyn Nets do and a lot of other teams around the league that we played, right? So it's I don't think it's just that we're facing a defense that's as good as us in Milwaukee, but also that our defense isn't as effective when they're playing, you know, the right way. Yeah, you know, I'm... I'm not well okay I so I think there's a couple of things there for me like I don't think we took Milwaukee out of what they wanted to do quite as well as we did with Brooklyn or made them feel quite as uncomfortable as we did with Brooklyn um, and, and ultimately to me, that's just a credit to Giannis and how kind of indomitable, indomitable he is dominant? as a, as <laughs> dominant works too, but like, it's more than that. Right. It's like the, uh, he, he's just, he's like undefeatable, an undeni- undeniable force. Yeah. Um, and even when we played and like, 
uh, Adam Taylor had a great article on Celtics blog um, today, uh, Monday, we're recording, um, about how Al Horford did a really good job one-on-one on Giannis. Um, but when we sent doubles, we, we kind of suffered. Um, right. And even though Giannis didn't have a great shooting game, you know, he had a triple double and he totally controlled the game, both offensively and defensively. He's he just a whipping, complete force. He was, yeah, he was whipping over the head the backwards, yeah. over the head backwards passes into the corner. Right like, hand, left he hand. He was, yeah, it was. I, it I had was never seen him make display. passes like that. I hadn't either. I hadn't either. And I mean, what what it showed me is, but it's, but so I, I didn't think our defense was ultimately that big a problem. Like they only scored 101 points right like that's that's not a high benchmark but what where i think we really hurt ourselves um and i think Eme kind of made comments on this as well we just turned the ball over so frequently and live ball turnovers and they were sloppy and we made it easier for them to get some fast break points or, or points in transition um i think they had something like 21 24 trans you know fast break points or something it was it and outscored us by 18 and in, in transition points so it's a pretty sizable difference and again i i think their length and their physicality on the defensive end and like the ability for Giannis to just kind of suddenly appear which is hard to conceive of this like seven foot behemoth kind of coming out of nowhere but he seems to do that all the time on defense and just you know, uh, affects someone's willingness to to go for a layup or just blocks someone's attempt at a layup. Um, you know, it took us out of our offense. We started making dumb passes and passes into outstretched arms. I, saw, I thought Wes Matthews played way better than I expected. He was really impactful defensively on Tatum and, and on Brown uh, on their drives. We know what Drew Holiday is defensively. We know what Giannis is defensively. Brooke Lopez is a monster defensively, especially in the paint. Um, and we just need to be a lot smarter and sounder on offense and not give up those easy points and and make it a slugfest both ways. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I don't know that I feel like there we failed to take them out of what they wanted to do completely. But I think we, because we turned it over carelessly, we gave them more easy points than they gave us. Yeah. And Wesley Matthews, 35 years old, getting it done on the defensive end still. They had other guys who were really making an impact. I mean, Drew Holiday, number one, he started picking up full court and really limited our ability to get the ball over half court in the entire first half and throughout the game um, and Grayson Allen picked up where he left off when he left and Javon Carter even made an impact with the full court pressure, but the ball pressure throughout the game was really impressive to me. You know, we responded with a brush screen right away just to get the ball over half court, but still weren't really getting into our They called two early. fouls on us against those. Yeah. On those brush screens. They called one on Horford and they called one on Tice in the backcourt. Yeah. And I was curious to see what Udoka was going to do in the second half. And he came out, he ran a couple of times. We had a brush screen into a staggered brush screen. So there was three screens in the backcourt just to get the ball over half court. So you could tell this was like a big deal to our coaching staff. And because it was really limiting us because we were setting like the first brush screen was usually set by the big 
who then had to chase the point guard up the court because he was setting the first screen in, in our action. And then if they were trapping that, it was like all of a sudden we were on our heels and there's eight seconds left and we couldn't run anything. So, I mean, you're saying that we our defense didn't take them out of what they wanted to do as well as our, our defense did Brooklyn. I mean, they were taking us out of what we were wanting to do way more oh, than completely. our defense was, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, then that was definitely getting to Tatum specifically. It was getting, you could tell like Smart wasn't handling it well. It was impacting him. But then he still realized like, okay, I just need to drive by this, get into the paint and turn this into just a drive and kick and, and get them rotating. Um, and and, I, and yeah, with Smart, no, yeah, sorry, with Smart specifically, I, you know, I give him, like he didn't have a stellar game, but he was actually one of, if not the only Celtics regular that had a positive plus minus. And he was laboring. Like he yeah. was fighting through serious pain. I mean, he had the shoulder thing. It, it, I guess it was just a stinger. It looked like a dislocation or a shoulder separation in real yeah. time. But yeah. by all accounts, and Ime had a comment earlier today saying it was fine. Um, so even that aside, like clearly whatever's going on with his leg, like that was serious. He was limping pretty much any time he wasn't like just, you know, in the moment and running around, but like any stoppage in play, anytime they were just kind of, you know, the players were just repositioning on the court, he was limping to his new spot. Um, so, you know, I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt as far as some of his struggles and in, in beating the press. And obviously drew holiday is as good as they get, as far as on ball defense at the guard, you know, right there with Marcus Smart. So uh, credit to Drew Holiday as well. But I think you're right on when you, when you look at, you know, guys like Tatum and Brown are two stars that got taken out of what they wanted to do. Like, you know, they just have to figure it out. Like there's no, there's no adjustment other than there's, there's no grand adjustment beyond they have to, make better choices and execute more effectively. Yeah. They were on their heels. You know, it, to me, it's a mental toughness thing. It's just, this is the same lesson all over again, right? Like now we're finally up against a real playoff team that plays like a team, like a championship team on offense and on defense. They're just as good as us on defense. So let's, I mean, let's tell the guys we're playing the number two defense in the league right behind us. They're just as good as us. So how are we going to respond when we see this kind of pressure that you guys know how to put on other teams. You see how other teams will, you know, like, are we going to do the same thing? Um, so, yeah. And I, yeah, no, I think, I mean, you look at uh, one, a thought I had as the game, you know, it was in the fourth quarter, we were, you know, down 15 or whatever. So it was clearly the game was in hand for Milwaukee and kind of a thought I had just reflecting on, on how the game went, you know, in the first round Tatum, Really, it really felt like Tatum took steps as far as his tough toughness, his ability to be mental, mentally and physically tough, and he kind of out toughed Kevin Durant in the series, yeah. right in that first round sweep. And I was like, you know, at the end of the day, like in the in the spectrum of physically tough NBA players, Kevin Durant might not be all that high on the list. Um, you know, he's an elite all time player, so he's obviously pretty tough. And, and got physical and mental toughness, but he's a, he's a pretty thin guy, right? He's not like, he's not built like a um, pit bull or anything like that. Right. 
and then you got Tatum. Tatum's filled out over his first five years in the league. So he's he's got some muscle on a Kevin Durant. But now now Jason Tatum is like has the inverse situation, right? He's he's going up and he's the narrow shouldered slender guy when you're juxtaposing him <laughs> to Giannis, like who's yeah. effectively an a, the Uda, a, a Adonis of the NBA. He's like the ultimate physical specimen and like just has the most elite mental toughness and improving skill year, you know, game after game, year after year. Um, and I think he's, to me, he's pretty clearly the undisputed best player in the NBA at this stage. And, you know, this is, this is like the ultimate test for, for Tatum. Um, I'm not sure after game one, I'll be, I'm really curious to see if he's up for the test this year, if it's a test that he needs to, you know, go up against multiple years. I I made a case on our podcast, you know, before we were on Celtics blog two years ago, right? That Tatum was going to become like the perfect foil for Giannis in the East for like the next decade. I still think that's possible. I'm not sure, you know, Tatum is, is a couple of, of big Giannis size steps behind Giannis right now. Um, as far as, you know, level, level of kind of impact on the game. And a big piece of that is his ability to mentally impose himself against, you know, all manner of opponent, especially those that are physically tough and physically more imposing than him. Um, and I'm curious to see what strides he makes on that front in the course of this series. Well said. All right, Mike. I want to play a little game with you. All right, I've heard a lot of theories Ooh, I about like games. what happens. I like games. Yeah. I've re- listened to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of articles post-game. We've had a couple of days to think about this first game. And, you know, everyone wants to blame somebody or, or everyone's got their theory. You gave yours. I gave mine. It's pretty much the same theory that this is really about, like, how will we respond to getting smacked in the face, mental toughness, you know, when we're up against a defense that's as good as they are. But I want to go through some other theories I've heard, and this game's called How Much Weight. And you, your job is to tell me how much weight does this theory hold, all right? Number one, they had uh, less time off. Than we did so we had a bunch of days off what do we have six days off? zero zero percent zero percent weight okay so they're they're fresher because of that zero weight zero weight for and and for mike do you give that weight uh i give more than zero you know like i think i wonder how we would have played uh you know had we only had one day's rest or two days rest when when we don't have time to you know sit back rest then have a hard practice like we had on the Thursday before the game, then rest a little bit more and kind of allow ourselves time to think about how great we are, how we just swept them. And, uh, you know, I, I, there, I think there's something to, to that. Like we kind of came out looking a little complacent and a little like, uh Oh, they're, you know, full court press right off the bat. They're not going to let me get the ball over half court. Well, the, you know what I mean? You know, the, but not, the irony but not to me. Weight. Yeah. Go ahead. The irony to me is that actually the one t- part of the game where we out physicaled my uh, Milwaukee was maybe the first eight to ten minutes. Like we were the tougher team. They had more turnovers and, than us, 
but they had more turnovers. We were, we were kind of imposing our will on the game. And then like Giannis kind of woke up and they, they started getting like, you know, they got that look and they got, they, they started really putting their, their, their kind of bodies on us. And we just, we were, we were shook. I mean, to me, we were just shook. We were, we were not ready for that. And I don't think that was the extra day off personally, I think, or extra couple of days. I think it was more like we just played a series against a team that wasn't that tough. Like we just hadn't played a team like this for a long time. We kind of forgot what it was like. I felt like when the time when Giannis woke up coincided in that game when, with us not really hitting shots. Tatum struggled in the first half. Um, Pritchard came in. That's his job. He missed his shots that he took. What, how much weight do you give the theory that we just didn't hit shots? I think maybe that's like 20, 25%. Like that, that was a factor for sure. I think, I think there were some good looks that we could have hit. And even some that were like, that people were giving grief on like Pritchard in the fourth quarter, but like those were pretty open looks, a, yeah. a, a number of the shots. And he hit all of those against the Nets. Like, you know, he's a, he's a really confident shooter and he's a really great shooter. So I was okay with him taking those. He just, he went over four. He's a 40 plus percent shooter. Normally he'll go like two for four, two for five in that situation. Um, so there, I think that was, there was some truth to that. Uh, so I'll give, I'll give 25%. Okay. So the next one, how much weight for this? This one is actually sent in by Adam Motenko. Oh man, we got real time analysis here. Adam is saying Jalen Brown might be to blame. He's saying it's time to acknowledge that he's not played great in the playoffs. His stats looked fine in the first round, but he didn't have a single game that popped. And he looked bad for stretches in every game. Uh, Then he was able to recover each game for a small stretch. You know, I I know that he had what the, the, he was the leader in fourth quarter scoring with the Celtics for eight points per game in the fourth. In the first series, in the first series. Yeah, I believe so. Um, He's saying this Milwaukee game was really bad. He had seven turnovers and he put seven exclamation points after that. Um, (laughs) Saying I'm getting really tired of watching him struggle to handle the ball. He's never been a strong dribbler, and it's really shown up in ugly ways with increasing pressure in the playoffs. His shooting from three is completely off at 25% through five playoff games on reduced attempts per game. He has to play well, or else the Middleton loss is a moot point. How much weight do you give that theory? So blame, solely blame Jalen, Jalen Brown. Brown. No, I mean... I... I'll, I'll blame Jalen Brown about... 25 percent okay that's significant in my opinion 20 percent yeah something like that i mean i'll give i i would frame it more i'll give jalen and jason both about like combined about 40 to 50 percent i think i think they were taken out of their game and they have to be better and that that doesn't mean they have to make all their shots. It means they have to, you know, f- find the right spots on the floor to either get their shots off or draw the attention of the defense to set their teammates up. And they have to do the simple right thing over and over and over again. And they didn't do a good job of that, right? And they they right. didn't do a good job dealing with the physicality. And so, but I don't think 
to me, Jalen, Jalen had a bad game. Like there's no two ways about it, but, but I thought he was one of many people that didn't have a good game. Like, right. and I did not think he was uniquely responsible. Um, I thought our stars as a collective were pretty responsible and were, were heavily responsible. So that takes because us to the they, next one. Yeah. Cause they, I think they had a combined 13 turnovers. Um. Yeah, they. I mean, that's that's a problem. Tatum complaining. You know, he definitely complained more to the refs this past game. That was a thing over the course of the year and his career. How much weight does that theory hold? His complaining specifically. Yeah. Um, the complaining by itself, maybe like five percent, but. It, the the for me the bigger problem is what it it symbolizes yeah and it symbolizes how he's out of the game mentally and how he's getting you know he he's getting punked effectively to use a term from Ime Udoka early very early in the season um oh Tatum only had three turnovers no, I thought he had six anyway um it yeah so you know there's a direct correlation between how much Tatum is complaining and how much he's letting somebody else or another team physically impose their will will upon him. Right. And that's a problem. Like, so I see the, I see the, I see the complaining as a symptom, but not the core problem. So I mean, maybe it's a little semantic, but I think we feel pretty similarly here. Yeah, I don't think it's semantic at all. It's it's actually a physical representation of mental toughness. Body language shows you whether someone's in that moment being mentally tough or not. And you can see it on the expression on their face. You can see it with their posture. Are they leaning back? Like the defense is up on you. Are you pivoting backwards or are you pivoting into the defense? Like that is a direct body language example of your mental toughness. And obviously complaining and standing instead of running back onto the court is is another. Um, you know who almost never complains? Who? Giannis. <laughs> I yeah. honest, honestly, like if I would love the coaching staff after this season. And look, again, I think Tatum has had a heck of a season, especially the second half of the season. I think he's made clear strides. And we'll see how this series plays out. Like he could still, you know, rise to the challenge. He's risen to a lot of challenges this year. Um, but I would still just splice together tape of Giannis not responding to calls that didn't go his way over and over and juxtapose them to Tatum complaining and just be like, look, like this is the best player in the NBA. You want to get to that level. Put your head down and keep playing. Yeah, Giannis, his resiliency is unbelievable. Just everything he's about amazing. that dude. He's in, amazing. In terms of like, he's the ideal superstar to have. I mean, just the quotes that he has, you know, before and after games too. He gives perspective. He goes into that 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 meeting, you know, and sits in front of the microphone and and is relaxed and is comfortable in his skin. And you know, it's just he he transcends uh, a lot of the pressure that Americans tend to put on each other and tend to think yeah. you know, way too much about. He's not overthinking yeah. this. No. 
All right, last one. How much weight does this have? Injuries, right? We got Smarts all banged up. Brown, obviously, I mean, it's debatable whether he was feeling his hamstring when he dunked that ball on the putback when he rose up over Giannis and his head was at the rim. But I don't know if that's necessarily an example of him not feeling banged up out there and not contributing to the way he played. Obviously, Rob Williams is still getting his legs under him. How much weight does it hold? Injuries. It's got to be 0%. Because they don't have Chris Middleton, their second or third best player, um, a very good defensive player, an absolutely devastating, especially against the Celtics, tough shot maker. um, And it didn't matter. So if they completely don't have their third, let's say third best player, let's say Drew is ahead of him and Giannis is obviously ahead of him. They don't have their third best player. We can't complain about having, you know, um, Jalen playing with a, a mild hamstring strain, which he played through into the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago, and Smart playing a little bit banged up. Like I, we can't, we can't have it both ways. So you can't, you can't give us say injuries are to blame for our side when they just came out and completely beat us without one of their top three guys. Yeah, and their third best player is now, in my opinion, Grayson Allen. He's their third leading scorer. He's averaging 60% on his threes in the playoffs, uh, 13 points per game in the playoffs, and in limited minutes, 25 minutes a game. Um, his he, defense I mean, is amazing, too. And, and this guy's gotten a bad rap because of dirty plays in college and in, in, in the NBA, you know, trying to trip players. And um, I think including his, his nice little leg kick on uh, yeah. Grant Williams. Yeah, that was minor. I mean, his competitiveness has made him um, go overboard with those types of plays. But you could say the same thing about Draymond Green and Marcus Smart. And I just think that this guy needs a little bit of uh, positive pub because he's really showing out. He he is shooting lights out in the playoffs for sure. Um, I personally would put Brooke ahead of him. I think, I think Brooke Lopez is and like, and I'd probably put Bobby Portis ahead of him too, but Brooke Lopez's impact. Um, he's, you know, Milwaukee was kind of a middling defensive team in the regular season. And a big part of that was not having Brooke Lopez. He, he completely reconfigures and, and lets everything work. It's kind of like if you take Al Horford away from the Celtics D, then Rob can't be a free safety the same way. Right. right? It, L- Lopez lets Giannis be that free safety and there's no better free safety in the NBA than Giannis. And Lopez is, you know, he's not as agile as someone like Horford out on the perimeter, but they always play drop with him and he is a giant person. Um, and he is very effective at, at, you know, uh, contesting shots in the paint. So, you know, the Celtics were like 10 of 30 or 10 of 31, something horrendous on their shots, their two point uh, field goals uh, in game one. And some of that was bad shooting luck, but a lot of it was great defense Milwaukee. Yeah. All right, let's switch gears here. Um, I wanted to bring up a kind of a different kind of a concept. I was listening to the Real Ones podcast with Raja Bell, former NBA player on The Ringer, and he was talking about a conversation he had had recently with Steve Nash, coach of the Brooklyn Nets, right? We obviously just swept them in four games, and 
he said that Nash was wondering if the Nets had cheated the game too many times during the year to be able to like be blessed with success, um, like from the basketball gods. Like these, this was the kind of language in that conversation. Um, and so that kind of made me think about the difference in the Celtics just in this year, where we kind of started out the year with the my turn, your turn kind of system um, and turned into a like cohesive team that just tries to get each other the ball, make each other better. Um, and then we kind of reverted back in this first game to that my turn, your turn stuff, in my opinion, from the defensive pressure of Milwaukee. Um, but I feel like it brought me back to some coaching days when you'd have a like dynamic offensive player at the college level and, and he's going and getting his buckets um, and then something doesn't go right and the head coach yells at him. Like nobody knows what you're doing, right? And if you're just out there trying to get yours, we don't know how to move. The other guys don't know where to be. And that when you play in a cohesive offensive system, everybody knows where to go. Everyone knows where everybody else is. That's what allows Giannis to throw these over-the-head passes because it's just him and shooters everywhere, right? So he knows where those shooters are supposed to be. Um, so my question to you is like, do you think this mental toughness is is related to us potentially like cutting corners? Like when we're not playing the right way and we revert back to that your turn, my turn stuff, or even just are getting punked and not making the right decisions with strong mental toughness. Like, does that mean that the basketball gods are not going to bless upon us success? You know, and, and uh, yeah. What do you think about that? Like, are we cheating? I the mean, game? I don't know. I mean, I think I think that the type of cheating the game for the Nets, you know, it it's a totally different it's a totally different thing. I mean, if you if we if we dare to remember back to the dark dark days when Kyrie Irving was a member of the Celtics and in particular that 2018-19 team that was you know, projected number one team in the league that was had too much talent. You know, that team acted from day one like it had already won three championships. Right. And like the regular season was kind of pro forma and just wait till the postseason. Um, that's cheating the game. That is not putting in the, the work, not building the habits day after day, not bringing the right mentality and mindset. I don't feel like our team has done that. I feel like, it's, you know, and I think Ime has gotten through to the players and deserves a lot of credit. But I also think we have tremendously high character players on this team that want to work and want to improve and believe in the value of of incremental progress day after day after day um so you know i think what we see when we see you know players reverting to iso ball and over dribbling is you know old habits die hard and they manifest particularly in high stress situations and that Milwaukee team stressed the heck out of us. Like they just put a, you know, they pushed us to a level level of discomfort that we haven't been pushed to, especially recently, very often. Um, but I don't think this team cheats the game. 
Um, and so that's where I'm intrigued because I think we're going to put in the work. I, I believe fully in guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown looking at the film and trying to get better in the ways they need to get better. I believe fully in this coaching staff being kind of brutally honest and pointing out the things that they did wrong and, and identifying ways that they can improve and, and make adjustments that can put them, that can give them a better chance for success. And so I'm really, I'm really eager to see, you know, if we as a team, the Celtics as a team can rise to this challenge. Um, and I'll, I mean, I had picked the Celtics in seven before there was news of the Chris Middleton injury with him getting injured. I was thinking, you know, six, maybe five games for the seas. I was wildly impressed and clearly underestimated this Milwaukee team based on game one. They were so much more physically impressive than I realized. Um, and, you know, just coming off a game where the Celtics completely out-toughed the Nets game after game um, and always had more resolve, always, you know, we're making those 50-50 plays, um, we're grittier down the stretch, put Kevin Durant in clamps. Uh, it was just such a juxtaposition to see us basically playing scared for two and a half, three quarters. Um, and, and certainly being, uh, feel it, feeling Milwaukee imposing their will upon, upon the game. Um, so I'm very curious to see if we can match that. Um, but I, I don't believe this team cheats the game. Yeah. Um, even, even when Jalen Brown drives into a crowd or, or Tatum, for example, like doesn't go as hard to the rack to try to, I think they make some bad choices sometimes. But I don't think yeah. they cheat the game. Yeah, that came up for me. I've I've been thinking about that, so I I appreciate your your perspective on that. Yeah. Do you um, do you agree with what I'm saying, or what, how are you? Yeah, as I I've been thinking about it, and I've been questioning it because I think there's certain types of decisions they make that are selfish or that are afraid, and those make them cut corners, and and that's like one of those things that is cheating the game when you're cutting corners. You know, no matter what it is, whether it's Kyrie being selfish in his way or Jalen Brown being selfish in his way, which is more just like not seeing the court and not driving to come to a stop, right? And going into too many, too much traffic. Like how innocent are either of those players in those situations? Like, I guess there's, there's gray areas there. So it's just something I've been thinking about. I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm going to, I'm going to stick to your opinion until I see more evidence, you know, mm-hmm. because I do think that they're trying, they're coming from a good place, you know, Maybe Kyrie is maybe it's debatable whether Kyrie is, um, but I don't think it's debatable whether like Brown or Tatum are. We know they're coming yeah. from a good place, so yeah. yeah. I, I like you. Yeah, I, like I think Kyrie thinks he is. <laughs> yeah, I just but but I think Kyrie is like all of that stuff. It's like mindset thinking like you're you're too good for a specific task or like a specific part of the season. Like that's to me cheating the game. That's cutting corners that in a way that's like truly corrosive. And you know, I agree. There's there's bad choices on the court that like Tatum and Brown can make, and those can have like a corrosive impact within a game. And if they really permeate, you know, if they really sustain game after game, then we get what we had for for parts of the first half of the season, right? Where where you really just have 
a lack of team basketball. But I think to me, again, in this case, it was, it was more of a team that was shook than a team that was cheating the game. Yeah. I think it's going to depend too on how Brown and Tatum and the others respond. They're going to get coached. They're going to see what they did wrong. And if they don't respond and they still continue to do the same habits, then I start to continue to question whether they're, you know, cutting the corners or what, where their intentions are. Right. Um, but there's no doubt that this is all provoked by defense. You know, our defense on Durant and them and Milwaukee's defense on us. I mean, the theme is defense. This is like an old school 1990s throwback, like back when defense really did win championships in the NBA. Um, like that's, that's, so I guess in honor of the theme of this week and this series being defense, I wanted to, to do like kind of an ode to defense here to end out the pod. Um, so I want to start just by giving a shout out to Marcus Smart, obviously the defensive player of the year. I really do think that Drew Holiday is actually just as good as Marcus Smart. If you're a Homer Celtics fan and you want to argue that Smart is way better than than Drew, the only thing I think that you the only leg you have to stand on is is that Smart makes more like game winning decisive like take a possession right from the other team defensive plays than Drew Holiday does. Like there's a little more like leprechaun magic in Smart's defense, but I really think that Drew Holiday is is the the other best defender in the NBA from a guard perspective. Um, and then you'd have to add Pat Beverly to that list too. The toughness that he shows and the you know defensive versatility that he's got, I think is is right up there with Drew and, and Smart. He's just a little more of a loose cannon. <laughs> yeah, a little more of a loose cannon, but so is Smart to a certain extent. I mean, that's something that Drew Holiday has over both of those other guys. Um, and Pat Beverly, he can't really guard the post. Like Smart and Holiday yeah. are, yeah, yeah, are yeah. really comfortable guarding and switching yeah. into the post or going up and blocking shots. You know, uh, Beverly's not there. That's what puts Beverly like one rung below. Um, but I was really curious about like who are the other smaller guards? All those guys we mentioned, we mentioned are 6'3", 6'4", and under. Um, and so I wanted to take a look back at the Defensive Player of the Year award and see where there are other guards that, you know, smaller guards that won the award. Because we all know the, there's only two point guards that have ever won the award, Smart and... GP, the glove. Right, 95-96, Gary Payton. So Smart, obviously 6'3", 220. Gary Payton, 6'3", 6'4", but he was playing at 180 pounds, right? So there's a difference there. Um, there were two other 6'4 guards that won Defensive Player of the Year before Gary Payton. Can you name one of them? Before Gary Payton, um, Mo Cheeks. Nope. Nope. The award started in 82-83, and the player that won the award in the first two years was Sidney Moncrief. He was listed at 6'4", 190. Okay. Then in 85-86 with the Spurs, Alvin Robertson won the award. Uh, Alvin Robertson, another, another high steel guy. Yeah, 3.7 steals per game. Yeah. Per game in that year that he won it. He that's, also had 5.5 assists, 6 rebounds, 17 points, but 5.7 steals per game is wild. It's crazy. Um, and the 5.5 assists I thought was really good too. He was 6'4". He played with two other point guards who were 6'1 and 6'0". One of them had 9 assists a game. So I guess he can't be listed as a point guard even though 5.5 assists is pretty good. Um, so as a shooting guard, he won it at the age of 23, Alvin Robertson. Um, and just for reference to those 3.7 steals per game, Marcus Smart had 1.6 steals per game this past year when he won Defensive Player of the Year. 
which is the same number that Alvin Robertson got as a rookie uh, playing 20 minutes per game. <laughs> so the game was a little different back then. Um, but shout out to all the 6'4 defensive players of the year. So after those four guys, um, you're looking at super length and athleticism with this award, defensive player of the year. Like Michael Cooper, he was 6'5", but he was super long. Michael Jordan won it in 87-88 at age 24. He had three steals a game to go with 1.6 blocks per game. <laughs> um, and then after him, you're talking about like Ron Artest and Kawhi Leonard and six, seven strong guys like that. But that's kind of the historical perspective and context that I, uh, that I did with some research for Marcus Smart's Defensive Player of the Year. And I thought we would end the, the podcast with a little bit of a positive note, just you know, showing how special Smart's award was this year. What do you think? Kudos to all the little guys that are all still taller than me. <laughs> Winning <laughs> in DPOI. Nice. All right, Mike, you got anything to add as we end this? No, that's it. That's it. I mean, you know, it, the next next few games, uh, next game is uh, Tuesday evening. This is coming out on Tuesday, so I guess this evening, uh, if you're listening to it on Tuesday at 7 o'clock, uh, we're playing on Saturday, 3.30 p.m., and then we're playing on Monday, May 9th, the, 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 the first four games. And one um, more game. Do, more do game you think, home. Josh? Yeah, do you think – what do you think our, the record in the series is going to be after the, the first four games? I think it's going to be two and two. You think it's going to be 2-2? You think we're I'm, winning this I'm one hoping. at home and, and think, one of the <laughs> – hoping or thinking? Those I are think different if we things. lose this game at home, we could get swept. This is Game two is super important. We need to take one game at home so that we even the seeds in the series and, and feel good about ourselves. Because if we get if we take this other loss at home going into Milwaukee, I think, I think we came out game one and our first reaction was, uh-oh, and – that's my reaction if we lose game two at home. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think I think we're going to be much more ready uh, for just how physical a team this is, um, and I think it's going to come down to the wire. I think we'll I think we'll eke, eke it out, but I think it's going to be nip and tuck the whole way. Yep. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA or Coach Motenko. Thanks again for listening. You are a part of Celtics Pride.